Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James, and each week I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Tracy Waters, who is Director of People Experience at Sky UK. In this episode, we discuss the pivot to Agile that Tracy and her team have instigated, their experience of doing so, and what they've been able to achieve as a result. This conversation is an insight and an inspiration for anybody aspiring to modernise their L&D function and an essential listen for professionals everywhere. So let's get into it. Tracy, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Now, the title of this podcast will pique a lot of interest, as well as be met with some groans, perhaps, from those who see Agile as one of those buzzwords or fads that consume L&D for a while and then disappear without a trace. But I think that that may be due to misunderstandings or diluted understandings of what Agile is and can do for L&D. But now, before we address that, and we will address that head on, I've got to ask you why. Why transition to Agile? (laughs) Because doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results is insanity. (laughs) Um, I've been in L&D in one guise or another for over 15 years. Mm. And I have done every version of best practice of L&D, but it wasn't working anymore. Mm. And I think like a lot of L&D functions, decreasing resource, no additional budget, a need to go faster. You mean, you have to then look at a fundamentally disruptive way mm. of how you are doing your work. Uh, so we actually stumbled across Agile um, and it was much more, my background is psychology and I was much, I was much more drawn to the mindset and the philosophy, which is built a lot around high performing teams and actually learning. It's actually built around learning. Mm. You know, how do you iterate? How do you learn fast? Uh, how do you adapt? Uh, and that to me was was the appeal, mm. that if we were in L&D, we should be embracing a philosophy that is fundamentally built on learning and high performing teams. So let's address it then. Let's go back to the previous point. What does Agile mean and how have you applied it to L&D at Sky? So I think the first thing to explain is the difference between Agile as the verb mm-hmm. and Agile as the noun. So I speak to a lot of people. What they're actually looking for is Agile with the verb. Uh, which is, how do we move faster? I need to have more flexibility. Uh, my world is a bit more um, unpredictable, and I think I need to I need to be more nimble. okay? For me, agile is actually the noun, which is, I, uh, it's based on Scrum. Uh, it goes back uh, sort of about 23 years now to sort of software development. Uh, and that is the, uh, if you like, the philosophy and the mindset that I know as agile. Mm. So how have you applied that to L&D? So the, the mindset, uh, for starters, is for me based on four key kind of pillars. Uh, one is it's based on uh, user-centric. So you can replace user with customer, employee, manager, leader, whatever you like, but it's centred on understanding the needs of that particular human being. Mm. So that's that's number one. Secondly, it's built on iteration. So as I mentioned before, how can we build something, learn fast from it, make it better, or sometimes actually change direction completely, mm. but how can we develop that way of working that allows us to test and learn? The, sec- the third one is data-driven. Mm-hmm. So how can we um, make m- less decisions on opinion and best practice, and we've been doing it this way for 10, 15, 20 years, mm. and actually a lot more on what the data is telling us about what our users, our employees, are actually doing. Uh, and the last one is collaboration. 
which isn't teamwork. Collaboration is actually involving people beyond your kind of team, beyond your boundaries in understanding the problem and solving it. Mm. Uh, and that usually means working with the business, with your end user, um, with other parts of HR, whoever you, you need to, to properly solve whatever the problem is or the concern is that they have. You have a real clarity around the language there real, as well, real, whether, yes. whether that be agile with a with a capital A, whether that be a, a real definition of user centricity, whether it's the application uh, of data, you are absolutely crystal clear that what you're doing isn't a rebrand of what you've always been doing or what learning and development have always been doing, but that it is fundamentally different in order to achieve different results. It's, it's I think one of the markers of it being fundamentally different is that we don't do classroom training. Mm. So um, about two years ago, we just stopped it mm. and, and, the, and the business went cold turkey <laughs> and that had consequences, yeah. right? So what that revealed was that classroom training has been a substitute for other needs. Yeah. Um, one of those, and I actually describe it to people as the four R's, so that we all, you know, <laughs> we, all love, <laughs> we all love a good mnemonic. But, but we, we went cold turkey, we took it away. Um, and the funny thing was that people were, when you explain the kind of, I guess, illogic behind classroom training mm. as a method of learning, a lot of people actually go, yeah, actually, I, I see where you're coming from. That actually doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and learning in the workflow and actually more continuously and at points of need makes a lot more sense. Doing it is what L&D still needs to learn how mm. to do. Um, but you took it away and we found these these four R's had kind of been <laughs> covered by, by L&D. One was relationships. We've all been to on a program or at the end of a classroom training and what was the best thing about this program? Uh, and it's the network, yep. right? So people were building relationships through, through training. The second one was recuperation, mm -hmm. right? That I actually get a chance to not be at my desk to not be in the workflow, yeah. right? Um, and, and I get to put my out of office on and I'm not expected to reply to emails. The, the third one is recognition. And this is actually quite a big one. You get a certificate at the end of classroom mm. training. You feel like you've achieved something. You feel like you've learned something, even if you've forgotten it two days later. Um, and the fourth one is what I'd call retention. If you have something that you're working towards, like a hypo program, then that's something that you stay at the company for because that's something that kind of means something to you. When you take all, when you take it away, what you uncover is that classroom training was meeting those needs. Mm. Um, and so then our challenge becomes, you can't just say, well, we don't meet those needs anymore. Sorry, that's not what L&D is here for. Um, and at Sky, what we did is we went, actually, let's bring a lot more of the kind of employee experience together into one place. And let's think about all of these needs as an end-to-end -end experience for people. Right. I think... I don't think that anybody would forgive me if I didn't go deeper on this okay. at this stage. We're five minutes in and you've just you just said you've removed <laughs> classroom training, which of course is the bread and butter, which is the core of, of learning and development, has been the core of learning and development practice for decades. Um, I'd love Including to Including mine. Yeah, of course, and mine, yeah. <laughs> so I'd love to know why and what the response was. Why did you remove it? So so it comes back to me the 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 logic which is this idea that you can put a group of people into a room for a day or two days and you can give them the same information in a sequence that has been predetermined mm -hmm. without actually understanding the needs of any person in that particular room. Um, and then you kind of dump it on them 
Um, and they kind of, and you do some role plays and some interactive exercises. And at the end of the day or the two days, you go, what's the one thing you're going to do differently tomorrow? Mm. I go, well, that tells me that this is not an effective way yeah. of changing behavior or changing how people work. It's an um, abundant misuse of company resources. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it works well with the CFO, this argument. <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it's kind of recognizing that it, it doesn't actually make sense. And I know mm. you had Nick on, um, uh, Nick Shackleton-Jones on recently yeah. and, you know, his book, How People Learn, is, is de- it should be read by every person in the L&D profession. Mm. Um, because you, when, you, when you also understand from a psychology perspective and a neuroscience perspective how people actually learn, it makes classroom training even more bonkers. Yeah. Um, so, so we took it away. And what was the, I mean, what was the reaction? People are going to be thinking when you take that away, especially when you've got your four R's and it, and it means something mm. rather than perhaps it resolves something. Mm. What was the response and how did you deal with it? So I think the difference was there was a logical response and an emotional response. So the logical response is, yeah, we totally get it. Okay, when you explain it, um, it, it makes sense that we don't do learning this way. Mm. Um but I still want my people to feel like this is a great place to work. I still want them to build relationships. I still want them to feel like they are growing and developing. So mm. how are you going to help us with that? And that's actually where you then focus your efforts on how do you release products, if you like, that are much more continuous, much more in the workflow, workflow much more point of need, mm. that are inclusive. We have a real policy, which is we want to make things available to, to everyone. Um, at their point of need. And as you release those products and they get more sophisticated, more people get on board. Um, but there was definitely, I'd say, a six to nine month period where people felt like they they were missing something. Yeah. And and my primary job in that stage was with stakeholder management. Mm. So I needed to kind of just go, we're, we're working on it. This is what the data is now showing us. And the fact is, as soon as you start working in a way that is more data driven, you can have conversations with stakeholders based on data. Um, and that changes the dialogue completely. Mm. Okay, um, and so that was a that was really key for for me, and I guess still being able to keep my job. <laughs> Which I think, as as this goes on, I think we'll see that's a, that's a given. That's a good reason that uh, that you have. But I want to I want to paint a picture for the listener now because you've changed your operating model, and I think that we need to lay out what it looked like before mm-hmm. and what it looks like now, mm-hmm. uh, and perhaps what it feels like for the end user. Would you say that it, you had a largely traditional uh, operating model before, and yes. in what in what way? Just describe that, and then what that looks like now. So traditional um, is where you have an L and D team um, within a centre of expertise within HR within a business, mm-hmm. um, and I th- and what you then tend to have within that L and D team are individuals or sm- very small numbers of individuals responsible for programs, mm-hmm. and they run that program. Um, with cohorts. And depending on your budget, uh, depending on your resource, you run X number of programs uh, every quarter or year for X number of people. And we're talking management development, management leadership. Management development, leadership development. And, yeah. um, and, and that for me is fairly, fairly classic. Mm. Um, and then you might have, you know, professional skills and so on, either run through webinars or a catalogue or whatever uh, you can kind of get your hands on. Mm. Um the way that we we run is that we have um, what I call a manager squad, a people squad, and a leader squad. And mm-hmm. they're you know people will roll their eyes at that too if they're not a fan of agile. <laughs> but the the whole point was you are in service of this 
group of people. Mm -hmm. If you're in manager squad, you're in service of managers. If you're in leader squad, you're in service of of leaders. Um, And they work together in no fewer than four groups of four, teams of four. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they have teams of five. Uh, and they work not in, in back-to-back sprints, but they work collaboratively. They work on solving problems um, as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, they manage the products collectively, um, and it, that way they can iterate faster. Um, and so they'll have, you know, sometimes they'll do a two-week sprint. Um, this week we're starting a five-day sprint. Um, they might do a one-day kind of creative swarm, as they call it, or kind of a two- or three-day. But the whole point is that you are identifying what is the problem in your in our kind of work stack or backlog that we need to solve mm-hmm. and how can we collectively solve that and ship it, as they say in Agile, ship the product yeah. um, as quickly as possible, then look at the data and make sure that it's working. Going back to the language, I think it's it might be important to unpack problem and product because, again, left to interpretation can be mapped easily to traditional methods. What Can you give us an example of a type of problem so we know what that is and then what a product might look like? So, I mean, manager development is probably a classic one. Mm-hmm. Um so a few years ago, uh, the, pro- the the kind of the program uh, was, you know, over three months, a number of kind of face-to-face classroom sessions, a number of online modules. Um, and then at the end of that three months, you got your certificate and you were done. Yeah. And that's part of the problem, right? You're done. And at the end of every program, they'd go, so what's next for us? You're like, sorry, you're done. Yeah. Um, or, or Tracy, your training didn't work. <laughs> I attended your training and yeah, it, did, it didn't work. <laughs> Um, it's like, well, too bad because <laughs> you got your it's, it's one and done. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so now we we actually then started to look at how we can use technology to get to more people, how we can use technology to be more consumer grade. People mm. are used to being on their phone, but we actually have a lot of our people using desktop and we can see that from the data. So you have to build for both. Um, but if you start with a kind of consumer grade technology experience and and build around that, uh, then you can actually start to be a lot more flexible in what you offer to people. So we might start with um, and uh, the system recognises that you've become a new manager uh, or that you've just raised a hiring request um, or that you've just um, raised a, a kind of lever. Someone's resigned in your team and they're leaving. Mm-hmm. And that's a point of need, right? At that moment in time, that manager has a choice uh, or the option to blindly kind of go through whatever the um, uh, transition, the hiring experience or the leaving experience is, or we can help them understand how to make that actually really memorable, a really meaningful moment for Mm. that employee. Um, And that's what we focus on. How do we help that manager create a kind of moment that matters? Mm. Um, And we we focus then our kind of content, our 90-minute workshops, um, our kind of videos um, to support people at that specific point of need. Um, But if you try and roll out, you know, recruitment or hiring manager training or you try and roll out something to do with great leaving experiences to all managers before they're actually in that, you know, they don't even have that concern, Mm. then I would say that's going to be waste. Yeah. So we're really trying to just get closer and closer to that manager um, to help them at that particular moment. That's that's one example. Using data at hand for those critical moments because, as you said, your, your HR systems or what you're integrated with can um, let you know as 
points of concern are, yeah. are, are mostly are raised, mostly yeah. and there's business cycles as well you know there'll be certain things that happen quarterly and cer- certain things that happen biannually and annually and you can um, get on those waves as well so you're kind of looking for those opportunities when people are paying attention um, and because they're paying attention and because they have a concern mm. um, and ideally a desire to do a great job um, then that's actually what helps them like learn mm. um, because it's it's right there uh, when they need it. So what would you say to people who believe that that what you're describing is a is a, a skill or an interaction that's best uh, delivered or experienced in a classroom where you can see people, in inverted commas, learn? <laughs> <laughs> that question doesn't even make sense to me. <laughs> you know where I'm coming from, though, don't you? You've been in front of groups of people or, or you've spoken to people who think, well, you don't know if they've learned, again, in inverted commas, unless you've seen them, unless they've you've, they've rehearsed this or practiced this in a safe environment. A role and go. Yeah, exactly. So so what would you say in response to that? Because you are you may be providing resources at the point of need. But there is L&D wiring here that, that probably needs either challenging or, uh, or at least discussing. So I don't, I, it'd be interesting to unpack what the problem is behind that, right? Because the thing that I would say was easier before, mm. <laughs> BA, before Agile, yeah. <laughs> um, is it was quite, you, you could schedule stuff you could show the business your schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, you could add in more to the schedule. And they would actually generally feel like, okay, I've got my training. Okay. And and it's a it's a tangible thing. And the business actually likes tangible things. Mm. It's one of the things that we've had to work hard on is that when you have point of need solutions, they're they're a little bit less visible and they're a little bit less tangible. Mm. Um, and so if you go into this wanting to sort of disrupt the way that you help people, you have to accept that you you also have to educate or help people see the world differently. Mm. Um, so I think I think the attraction to classroom training is um, that if you work in L&D, you probably like training. Yeah. You probably like facilitating. You probably like being in front of groups of people and helping them to interact. Um, I, I, loved, I love that. Mm. I loved it. Um, I've let go of a lot of it. Mm. Um, because I could say, I just for me, it felt like it was it was falling behind. A bit like going into a bank branch, right? You can love being a bank teller and helping people, or a bank manager, but the the reality is the way you can help more people is by allowing them to do banking on the go when they need it as easily as possible. Mm. No, I completely agree. When I was in a comparable role to yours at Disney, um, I you know have oversight. You're looking after countries as well as functions and um, uh, and levels of people. And I'd get frustrated by just how few people we were ever touching because they were coming onto classroom mm. uh, training and because there was a large scale apathy towards e-learning. And when you're thinking you're hardly you're hardly making a, a dent here, which mm-hmm. means that, that the vast majority of people's needs are being unaddressed by the organisation. You're not impacting organisational capability that way. People are servicing their own needs via Google and their own endeavours. So when you are ultimately responsible for enhancing performance in critical areas when you're faced with data as as you're seeking now and I was faced with um, just presented to me a lot of the time at a board level you're thinking well how can we do this and I think that 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 you've got to understand what the real problems are what critical points of failure uh, are what success means for your business leaders and then look to address that but when you're in classrooms or administering 
LMSs, you're kind of in a siloed world, a world in which 12 people belong in a classroom and minimal people, unless it's compliance time, are rattling around inside your LMS, which is a tiny population. And then you're perhaps looking at learners. Breathe. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to the Nick, the Nick episode yeah, Nick here. Breathers, that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, rather than solving the real problems, as, uh, as you've been describing here. But I, I want to touch on like, what you've described here is a huge effort to upskill your team, to, to change the way that they're working and also um, to, to change people's expectations in, in your organisation. What would you say that this has delivered? Change the, this, this transition to Agile, um, what has it delivered for both your team and, and for Sky? So I think it's delivered capacity, flexibility, responsiveness, and adaptability. I think um, capacity. I mean, there's no doubt that if you use a tech-enabled solution, one of the one of the big reasons you kind of switch to to digital, if you like, is that you can you can get to anyone with a mobile phone or anyone at their laptop. Um, so that's kind of I think fairly straightforward, but yeah. it's not the answer. Um, and the second thing is uh, flexibility. So mm-hmm. if you're not locked into programs that follow a schedule that have a limited number of participants each year, then you can actually adjust uh, what your products are and, and how you um, scale them. You know, we've we've um, had a couple of products that have gone out to 600, you know, managers at a time. Um uh, and and it's it's a type of product. It's not one that you would expect to shift behaviour on, but but raise awareness with. Um, I think responsiveness. So we can, uh, if need be, if something absolutely critical kind of came in from the business that we were like, maybe it was a massive change uh, um, kind of agenda that we knew was going to impact uh, a lot of people. That's a that's a point of need. Mm. We could probably easily design something and get it and ship it. Um, with our current kind of design model uh, easily in two weeks, probably quicker mm-hmm. um, because now we're quite experienced in the way that we we can design um, what we do. Um, and adaptability is probably similar to flexibility, but adaptability is this isn't the way that we've designed this for the last year isn't we're noticing from the data that it's maybe not as effective as it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. We now need to adapt. Um, our design. We need to try and experiment with some different things. So even within yourself, you're never resting. Yeah. You know, you're always looking for, um, you know, are our products as successful as they were? Could they be more successful? And because you've got data, uh, you can be measuring that virtually every day. And what better way to convince people, whether they're your stakeholders or your team, that very quickly you can give people what they need when they need it in order to perform and get results. It's kind of that yeah. yeah. And the thing the thing is about with the four hours as well is um, I've had the conversation with the business where I've said, look, if what if what matters to you is the ability to put on an event, you know, or something that you want people to feel inspired by, then we can work with you to wrap around that. Um, we're not going to take that away from you. We're not going to say you can't do it. But we don't. That's not what we're here to serve, okay? We're here to support, run in parallel. But if you want to run that inspiring event, mm. um, because that's what it will be, then then go for it. Uh, and then we'll work out how we can kind of wrap around that if, if that's the right thing to do. Now, you've been on this journey for about three years. Is that right? Yeah, we stumbled into it about three years ago. So, and, and of course, you've got a lot of learning behind you, um, both as a student of Agile yourself, as well as bringing your team with you. Can you talk about what it's taken, what it took initially and what it's taken since 
to bring your team with you on this journey to become, I don't know if they're students of Agile, whether they are students <laughs> of its application to learning and development, and also for new people into your team, because you you don't, you can't recruit Agile learning and development people. They're so rare. Um, so what what's that journey look like? So when I when I started, um, uh, well, when we kind of first realised that this this um, again philosophy and mindset, as opposed to off the shelf method that we can just impose mm. uh, on the team. As soon as we understood, like started to really understand the philosophy and mindset of Agile, um, started talking to the team about it um, because the key thing that I think also might put people off, particularly those at, at my level where you're kind of leading the L&D function, is that you're now massively out of your comfort zone. Mm. You actually don't know what this is. And all of the things that have made you successful, all of the things that you've got satisfaction from, um, no longer apply. And so that's a really uh, either a brave or a stupid move, right? Um, but I think it's one worth, one worth trying. Uh, and so the only way for me to approach it is you cannot impose this on a team. Mm -hmm. It has to be, we are the L&D team. I think there's something in this that we could learn together. Like, let's have a, let's unpack it a bit. Let's do some research ourselves. Let's share back. And we did that over, I think, about a month or so. It happened to be summer. So um, that was actually quite helpful, as you know. In a traditional L&D world, summer's a bit quieter. Mm -hmm. um, can't schedule any programs. Everyone's <laughs> on holidays. Um, and we, the the mindset was, let's explore this together. And I think that's that's the thing. Anyone who ever asks me, I go, you cannot impose this. People mm. will resist it if you do, understandably, like they do any change. Go into this as we've got something to learn. Let's explore it. And and the way that again, if you truly understand how agile works, and you're kind of doing retrospectives regularly, which is all about what worked and what didn't work. What mm. have we learnt? Uh, and that's what do we want to fix for, for next time or we'll try differently next time. The whole emphasis is on we'll get better at this together mm -hmm. and we'll make mistakes together and we'll make sure that we, we get better um, together. Uh, that was how I approached it. And so my original team, no change to the team, jumped in. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing that I usually mention to people is to also reduce the resistance to change. My promise was, let's try it for 90 days. Yeah. Again, I didn't know, like, how could I have gone into this absolutely confident? I was optimistic, but I, but I couldn't sit there and go, this is, gonna, this is a game changer, guys. No. I know exactly what I'm doing. I couldn't. So it had to be, what do you think? Let's explore together. 90 days. Let's learn as we go. Um, and what became very apparent very quickly is that this was just fundamentally a better way to work, a better way to think, uh, a better way to solve problems. Mm. You mentioned retrospectives there, and I think that that's an indication of how much you embraced the um, the exercises, the routines of uh, of Agile. Mm. Can you just unpack that for us? You know, what what are the routines, exercises, and the tools that you use mm -hmm. for when with Agile in learning and development? So if you, if you strip it back to what I guess is visible, what you'll tend to see is there are at least, um, I guess, two, two pieces of tech that you kind of need. Um, 
One is a way of the team, the, the team to communicate in kind of real time. So people may be familiar with Slack. Um, we started with Slack. Uh, we then moved to Microsoft Teams, which is the unsexy version of Slack, um, but it's it's functional <laughs> and it's behind the firewall. Um, and the other one is like a tra- like a planning board um, that is really visible and that um, the team can kind of see the workflow um, that they're that they're moving across to done. Um, so again, we started in Trello uh, and now we're on Microsoft Planner. Mm-hmm. So those are the two that for me are kind of you have to have. You need to get off email. You need to get out of shared drives. I mean, all the things that are kind of, you know, last decade, mm-hmm. you just have to get rid of. Um, and those two tools alone mean that the whole team can manage their work and they can do it in a self-organizing way. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have whiteboards that show what our kind of work stack is, what our backlog is, um, so that anybody in the function, anyone in the business could come down and see what we're working on. So visual management is something that I think is is um, helpful. And then there are the ceremonies. So anyone who kind of looks it up will find out that there are the four basic ones. There are the daily stand-ups, 15 minutes, absolutely focused on uh, what went well yesterday, uh, what did we do yesterday, what are we doing today, any obstacles. The second one is to do with um, planning, which is where the team actually goes, what are we going to get done this week, sprint, whatever the whatever the time frame is. And everyone is involved in that together. It's a collaborative exercise. It's not delegated or given to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a showcase, uh, which is when people have a kind of shippable product to demonstrate, ideally to more than just themselves. So invite as many people in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, retrospectives, which is uh, what, what worked well and what didn't work well. And therefore, what are we going to try differently next time? And your backlog, um, is that just a list of your priorities um, weighted so you've got your most important at the top and going down visible not just to all of the team but also to stakeholders have I got that right yeah so your your backlog if you like or your kind of um, uh, product uh, work stack whatever you want to call it but it's it's this is what we've kind of got on our our list to do mm. and that list um should have been created by understanding the business needs as well as the kind of manager point mm-hmm. of point of need. Um, I think you you can't run your own um, show, which is we don't talk we're not taking orders from the business anymore, no. but you can understand what the business challenges are, what is getting in the way of performance for the business, and then marry that with a great um, I guess user experience that you're trying to create. Um, but it's more to do with which will add the most value to the yeah. most people. Um, because if you use the word important, important to whom? Yeah. So it's got to be about value. Um, and that's a different way of thinking as well. It's a different way of thinking than trying to translate business needs into learning needs for learning needs analysis as well. Um, like, because <laughs> because what you are what you have got there are a list of business priorities, perhaps critical points of failure that don't need re-explaining back to the business um but but speak for themselves on a on a board but it brings me to the the next point because that's if that's what it looks like for your team what does it look like for employees how do they interact with L&D and how do you interact with stakeholders so I think the thing that um I see is that people don't realize that there is an L&D team necessarily. Mm. Um, they might think of it as HR, um, but they're not going, oh, I need to talk to the L&D team. Mm. Um, so what people should see or experience is 
uh, a product or an experience that is actually helping them. Um, and if they're a manager, they're looking for something that will help them develop as a manager. If they're kind of a professional, they're looking for how they can get better at doing their kind of their job. Um, and so we always want to make sure that what they see and experience can be found really easily, ideally through kind of a, a you know, a, one or two apps. We've mm -hmm. really simplified the whole offer as well. Um, not through an LMS, mm -hmm. uh, not through a microsite within a microsite within a microsite. Um, just this is where you go for this. Yeah. Um, and then we communicate it and we market it. So we have um, kind of a monthly manager email, which is all the things that a manager you know, it needs to prioritise this month mm -hmm. um, with some really simple links to um, how they might become a better manager. Uh, so we just use comms, we use marketing, we use branding, um, just as we would as a company to our own customers. Mm. Um, so I don't, that's not about L&D. It's yeah. about, do they know where to go um, when they need or, or want to kind of develop themselves? Um, for the For the business... What they appreciate is the stories, particularly if it's um, shared with data, you know, and, and what they want is they want to understand by their by their business area. And then mm. if you're in our company, they would love a leaderboard so they can show where they are relative to their peers, but we resist that. <laughs> it's like learning isn't a competition. Um but you can show them like this is kind of how many people we're reaching. This is how many people are kind of um, consuming or kind of engaging. Um, and this is what they're kind of saying around did it actually, was it useful? Mm. You know, did it solve the problem that the, that they had when they came in? Um, and then they're, they're like, okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and you start, you change the dynamic slightly. It's de We're definitely not order takers, mm. which I think is a, a role that L&D tends to play. Um, but the only, the only, you earn the right to not be an order taker by being a kind of salesman and a marketeer for mm. a product that solves, that does help to solve their problem. And backing it up with data. And I've read in data, the, data, yeah, data. Exactly. So <laughs> it's easy to have a conversation with uh, with a stakeholder who's requesting email training when you're looking at data together, saying that doesn't seem to be the biggest problem in your team right now. But you're also mentioning that we've uh, we've not talked about this explicitly we're not talking about e-learning are we we're talking about resources we're talking uh, about useful stuff at the point of need is that is that the kind of thing so we're definitely not talking about e-learning <laughs> I, I mean the one thing i haven't been able to do is is remove e-learning from compliance training mm. but that is all we have um, and at the moment, I've even got that down to less than an hour a year. Yeah. Um, it helps when you don't work in such a heavily regulated industry. Um, but no, we're not talking about e-learning. It's it, for me. Um, we use we do use email to get to people, which to me isn't ideal. I'd love to mm. not have to use email. People are overwhelmed anyway. But that is one way to get to each individual yeah. uh, and into their inbox. And then you make the, it, it should feel like you're talking to them. Mm. So we use um, email management systems that effectively let us know how many people have actually read it. Mm. We want to know whether they've clicked through to stuff. Um, because if we don't have that information, then we ha how do we possibly know how, how many people have even paid attention? Mm. And if very few people have paid attention, then we need to do something different, right? We haven't. We haven't got their attention. Mm. Um, so that data helps us get better. Um, and then we can provide kind of um, links into resources that might address a particular problem. Um, we might direct them towards some kind of 90-minute workshops, which are totally about relationships mm. and about peer conversations. Um, which Rather we know than content. 
It's not about, yeah, there's no trainer in the room. Mm. It's this is the topic that we're covering. Um, you're here because it's obviously grabbed your attention. Um, let's actually share each other's experience, but also give you some things that you can kind of take away and try. Um, and we just, it, it's a lot more continuous and, and kind of you go back, the manager goes back as a manager in their everyday work uh, and and it's an immediate kind of um, application opportunity. But you're going to have faced resistance at some point or another, haven't you, with stakeholders or, or with employees who expect learning and development to look like X. So how have you overcome that? And are there any lessons there that you've you can pass on to, to the listener if they're, they're thinking about doing something similar? So definitely, um, I don't think you could, I don't, if, if you weren't getting resistance, I'm not sure you're actually disrupting um, the model. No. <laughs> I mean, if people don't notice that it's different, then really, have you changed anything? Yeah. Um, so, that, I mean, that's where my, my job comes in, which is to actually explain the story, actually explain what's the, the why, right? Um, actually to, to increasingly come in with data to sort of explain to people how this is, this is um, better, you know, and that we can continue see how it was here and we've made it better mm. and you can show improvement. Um, but the resistance is, I, I, I don't believe, my, my lesson learned was uh, if I could wind the clock back, I would do more storytelling with stakeholders. I would have spent more of my time actually going on the road, if you like, and kind of going, look, this doesn't make sense, right? This this classroom training model, this doesn't make sense. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to do something um, a bit radical. We won't get it right all the time, but we are going to commit to improving and getting better. And I work in a company where if that's your attitude, uh, then you're more likely to kind of get given support. Um, I think the other thing that um, you need to be mindful of is that leaders in particular like something tangible. What mm. am I actually pointing people towards? What What is it? Yeah. And so we've had to get better at how we kind of package it and how you can kind of make it feel a bit more like a tangible thing. Mm. So we, we you can't just say, well, we don't do that anymore or you, you don't understand. Yeah. You've also got to adapt uh, to how or what the business needs because they want to help you. Yeah. They're like, I want, I want to do the right thing by my people. You're the, you're, you know this better than me. Um, so how can we work together? Um, and then I say to, to kind of leaders as well, if you want to run your inspirational events, if you want to kind of invest in that way, like go for it. Okay. Let's not call it learning though. Mm. Now you're also part of an agile HR network because there is an appetite in the wider market um, for this. Um, and they're going to be facing challenges too. Um, what are you seeing and hearing are the main challenges to adopting Agile in L&D and HR from that group, from your wider network? And how do you overcome those? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think there's a, the first step is um, people need to spend a bit of time understanding. So Agile isn't the answer unless you know what the problem is. Mm. Right. And and I, I meet a lot of people who are like, we want to go agile. And I go, why? If you don't know the answer to that question, stop. Yeah. Okay. Um, read Scrum by Jeff Sutherland. You know, go and have a look at the Agile HR community. Um, just edu like educate yourself through Google, you know, mm. <laughs> through YouTube, um, through reading to understand whether is this actually the answer to whatever my problem is and maybe start with what is the problem. Mm -hmm. um, I think people are afraid because if you've been successful 
because of, you know, many years of doing something a particular way, it is actually very scary mm. to, to sort of not do that anymore and to suddenly find yourself back at the beginning of your knowledge and being unconscious or consciously incompetent. Mm. Um, so that will require people to choose to kind of lean into that. Mm. Um, and I think the way that um, Agile helps with that is you can run, like just try it. You don't have to whole scale reorganise your team. You don't have to go out to the business and go, we're going Agile. Mm. Try something for a week or two weeks um, and see what what you can achieve. Now do it planfully. I think the other thing I see with people with Agile is it just means we can just not plan, mm. um, have no idea kind of what we're doing, and we'll just work it out as we go. No, no, no. no. Agile is really planful, really planful. It's actually highly structured, and it falls apart when people don't realise that. Yeah. So, But people can still give it a go, and they can do it in a way that is kind of off the radar. No one needs to know. Mm. Um, you can dabble in it, and I think that's the key way. That's also very agile. Let's, let's experiment, but have a clear hypothesis, a clear goal, a clear measure of success, and then let's throw ourselves in and see what the outcome is. Which leads me on to my final question, which is um, we're going to have people listening to this who are interested in Agile but no, won't know quite where to start. Now, I know that you've been very generous, you and your team, in writing the series on Medium, mm -hmm. which I think goes into great depth of your journey, um, which I think is a great place to start. Um, give it an answer before I ask you the question. Um, <laughs> um, so that might have an, uh, an inclination. Or they may not have the currency to, to go all in, as you described. There's no, not necessarily any reason to go all in. So what advice would you give to your peers in that regard on how do I get started with my next initiative? So I think the first thing I would say to people is, look, read Scrum. Mm. OK, just read it. Um, it's an easy read, but it's it's about understanding its origins. Right. So if you understand how something was created, you're more likely to actually understand how mm. it works. Um, I think you can go onto the Agile HR community uh, website. Um, I think that helps people with kind of blogs and, and stories. Uh, and there is like, if particularly um, in London, but in other parts of the world, I know that they run um, Agile HR meetups. So mm. you, again, in the spirit of relationships, uh, you can find other people who are kind of at different points of the journey. And that can also help you feel a bit braver because you're not alone. Um, I think you can also, if you work in uh, any size company that has uh, technology, a tech team, uh, particularly software developers, go and actually uh, sit with them, uh, watch them, observe them. Uh, we found owls firstly stunned that HR was interested in what they were doing, um, but secondly, completely willing to actually talk about how they work and why they do it this way. So you're probably surrounded by support and surrounded by resource that uh, that can actually help you. So start there. Um, and then if you're going to pick something to tackle, pick something that isn't high profile. Uh, so don't focus on leaders. Mm. Um, pick something that's maybe to do with a professional skill or something to do with a change that's happening in the business or managers. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then whatever you think you're going to work on, cut it by half and then cut it by half again because people tend to try and solve these really big problems. Mm. And actually what you want to do is chunk it down um, because you just want to learn the way of working and you want to see um, how it's different um, and what feels like weird but also what is is effective so it, it's kind of I guess in the way that how good learning happens which mm. is you need to try it you need to actually do it do it on something that is real 
um, and and do it together. Yeah. I think it's it's for me the team support element, the not alone element, uh, is really important. Wonderful. We'll put links to the the network uh, and to your learn um, agile and learning series uh, from from Medium as well. Tracy, this has been a hugely um, uh, interesting and valuable conversation. Thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. Thanks for having me, David. Wow, I enjoyed that conversation immensely and learned so much from it. I'm inspired and I hope you are too. If you're enjoying this podcast series, please give us a rating on your podcast app of choice. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now. 